When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the show. The Phil Hay Show is brought to you by The Athletic and The Square Ball. You can get in touch with the Twitter account at The Phil Hay Show. I'm Dan Moylan today, joined by my colleague from The Square Ball. Here's Michael Normanson. Hello. And we look forward to welcoming Phil back, hopefully to the show, in two weeks' time following his surgery at the end of April. We did that top 10 signings feature. We recorded that in April. It's running every week for 10 weeks while Phil is off. So you will still hear Phil's voice on the show in just a little bit. I think it's number three that we're round to today. In Phil's absence, we've got guests in from the world of Leeds United. Uh, this week joining us is John Richardson. Hello, John. Hello there. How are you? Good. Looking forward to your searing football insight in just a bit. <laughs> Brace yourself. You can sign up to The Athletic right now for that special Euros price of £1 a month for six months. Six quid between now and the end of the year for access to the best sports writing anywhere. Excellent coverage of Leeds United. You can find it all at theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod. Into it then, John. And do you want to plug anything right at the start before we get going? Oh, God, no, no. But if people are listening to me here, then that's probably enough of me for a year. So I can tell you where, where to look to avoid me if you think <laughs> this has been quite enough. <laughs> you were at Wembley on Tuesday night for the England-Germany game. We're recording this late morning on Wednesday, so it is very much the morning after the night before. And, and how was it? It was just, you know, one should be coy about these things, but it was just one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It was just, I still can't quite, I think knowing I had a ticket and I was going... I hadn't quite prepared for victory. I just assumed, well, being there, you know, being at England, Germany, at Wembley, seeing Calvin control a game of that magnitude will be enough. And then when we sort of scored and it looked like we were going to win, it never crossed my mind we would win. So I'm still sort of dealing with that and the booze um, <laughs> I'm dealing with. There, there are two sides of it I'm still dealing with. But yeah, it was it was very special. So when did you find out you were going? Well, we were sort of chasing tickets while the Czech Republic game was going on. So that game, although it didn't have any sort of great meaning in terms of England going through or not, if we hadn't won the group and that game had been in wherever it would have been Copenhagen, I, that was it. So personally, yeah, there was a lot riding on that game for me. And then and then when we won that one, I knew. And then I've sort of been in a state of becoming an ever, ever worse father and husband since then. <laughs> I think it's, it's allowed under exceptional circumstances, isn't it? I did laugh, by the way. Because you you obviously won't have seen it on the telly yet, but at one point they scanned across the crowd, and if anybody's been watching Meet the Richardsons, which is on Dave, by the way, Rob Beckett was pictured, and he yeah, your, I saw him. Yeah. He was on the big screen in the yeah. stadium. As he's, well. he's your nemesis, obviously in in Meet the <laughs> Rich, in Meet the Richardsons. So I did have a little chuckle on your behalf when um, when his picture popped up there on the telly. Yeah, someone tweeted me to say, I hope he didn't get your ticket, and that's how he's there. That would have been an exceptional bit of writing. Uh, so what did you do, like in the lead up to the game, and then afterwards as well? We drank uh, fairly heavily in the build-up, which is why I'm capable of speaking now, because sort of five o'clock kickoff is actually quite nice. I mean, you can have an afternoon drinking, and then obviously 90 minutes you don't drink a lot, and then you have a few to celebrate, and then you watch you watch Sweden-Ukraine for some reason. It sort of didn't feel like the best way to spend the evening, but what with COVID? Usually I would go to a celebrity nightclub, as I'm sure you, you know anyone who's followed would know. I'd probably just tag along with... Uh, Prince Bill, as I call him, just see where Bill and Bex are going and uh, tag along with them. But what with COVID and lateral flow tests and all that, I decided just to go back to uh, my friend's house and have a pizza, have a vegan chilli pizza. I was in the stadium. It looked on the COVID stuff. It did look like one or two people might have been maybe not keeping two metres apart at all times. Yeah, there's a straight. I mean, you have to be tested. So you have to, to get in, you have to prove either a double jab or a proof of a lateral flow test in the, in the last 48 hours. It wouldn't be for me to say that they didn't check that massively thoroughly. I sort of flashed a text and either this guy is like Johnny Five from Short Circuit and he's able to, at the speed of lightning, identify my name and that I am the person listed and check the time on the lateral flow test. He may have been doing that, I don't know. But there is a sort of sense, once you get in there, 
it's just too big an event to be worried because you just have to at some point believe well everybody in here is is either double vaccinated or recently tested and everyone's had such a bad year you you sort of can't go to that and just spend it anxious and especially the way the game goes you know tension for so long that then gets burst after about 75 minutes even i as somebody who despises people and physical contact <laughs> it's sort of beyond a handshake that moment it's it's beyond a like look to the left and a little elbow bump so yeah i can i, I will say this it was at the croatia game as well which was supposedly 25 percent, and to me in the ground felt about 10 percent to the point where it didn't feel like you had to remind yourself you were watching england at a tournament because it felt so quiet yesterday felt more than 50% to me, but the atmosphere was incredible and the singing and, you know, I, I haven't been, my last Leeds game was Holloway in the championship. So you sort of feel like you've missed so much that to be in a full stadium was just exceptional. It was, it was, it was brilliant seeing the, seeing the video of it and then just the stills of it as well, where you can see people in the background kind of people half falling over and stuff, celebrating goals. It did make you just think, oh, it's, it's so good is football. It's just, yeah, yeah, you've kind of forgotten it. Yeah, and you have to you have to believe it's coming back after this year. You know, you have to at some you've got to be careful, but you do have to at some point think, right, everyone in here's had a test or a jab, so you have to at some point think, right, f- football will return. You know, we'll be at Ellen Road and it'll be full and Rafinha will score and we'll go bananas. We have to, otherwise there's just no there's no point getting out of this if we just all have to sit four seats apart and then have a celebratory wink at each other. I think a lot of the, the worst of the pandemic was like an inherent mental fear, wasn't it, of going to the supermarket and keeping that distance from people. But over time, it's like it's faded, hasn't it? And I think now as we get so close to things being back to normal, it's easy now to hopefully start mentally just going in the other direction and hugging strangers when goals go in and stuff like that. Because we're going to have to relearn how to be football fans a little bit. I mean, I think that's what I saw last night that I really liked was that just the people tumbling over the seats and onto the onto the banners, you know, at the front for the first few rows that were blocked off. I don't think you forget. I think it's like riding a bike. I think it's one of those things that if you, you've not done it for so long, you think, oh, it'd be weird getting back to it. But then when the ball hits the net, I think it's just, it's instinct kicks in and you will just start grabbing people. Yeah, you do. You jump and you scream. And, you know, it is, I have to say, it's safe. the Croatia game especially felt, it felt infinitely safer than going to my local like co-op to me, being in Wembley because of the space and Wembley itself is such a big step you know it's not like I'm sure the experience of queuing up for the first pint at half time in a Leeds game and realising what you're actually going to do is queue for 15 minutes and not get a pint you're just surrounded by people will be different but Wembley is just is built to house 85,000 people comfortably so even at the capacity yesterday you've got space you know you you are I know it looks on camera very busy and it was much busier than Croatia but I can't say it felt unsafe. It just didn't. You know, you you are you are outside, and you know, as long as you lick the people that you you saw get their test, then <laughs> well, you're fine. That's about it, isn't it? <laughs> and nice as well as a Leeds fan to have a nice day out at Wembley because what yes. I think last time I was there was it would be Doncaster, and that wasn't much fun. Well, that was my. I mean, I I had a sort of that that midweek panic when we started talking about you know if we win the group are we going to get tickets and you know all the conversation about you don't want to pay touts you don't want to pay too much. I just had an absolute moment of realizing for my age I missed out on. I don't remember Leeds winning the title in '92. I was ten then. I, all I did was play football, so I think I must have been into football, but I just didn't have a club. It didn't occur to me to have a club then. So I got into football at sort of 94 was my, that's my first memories. That was my first Leeds game. I was too young to vote for Blair in 97. I didn't get to go to any games in Euro 96. I had an absolute sort of meltdown in the week of just, it's so unfair. I've missed out on so much. I was like, I'm not, I, I can't miss out on England, Germany at Wembley. It's too iconic. So yeah, I sort of justified it with that sense of, you know, it's Wembley and it's England. And you do have that connection now because Leeds players are playing for the national. You know, there was a moment when Harry Kane was, drifting about of thinking oh, I just would love to see Bamford on there yeah. <laughs> I would just he scored so it's all turned out all right and I don't want to be negative because you know what's the point but there was a point when it looked like you know when you play sort of FIFA or something against the computer and you don't select a player so they just sort of drift where the algorithm tells yeah, them to yeah. that's sort of what it looked like he wasn't he was never <laughs> sprinting he was always sort of going in the right direction but there was no urgency to it and I just thought God, Bamford would be just herring round like Calvin was. Just he, ne- he never jogged Calvin. He sprinted the whole. If he was closing down or trying to be on for a pass, they are just at a level of fitness that 
even the rest of the England team, I think, can't compute. Yeah, Calvin, it looked like a stroll for him because the intensity at which Leeds play versus England, it's obviously there's, there's a huge intensity to international level football. But there have been loads of times during this tournament so far where you've gone, just move quicker. Why is everybody not bombing around twice as fast as you are? So it must feel a little bit easier for him in some respects. And he gets Declan Rice to share the load as well for England, whereas yeah. for Leeds, he has to do all of that, doesn't he? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And you could see it, you know, it, it's so within him. Like, you, you still can't help but be proud. But when you watch him, you're like, you are, you, you're doing a sort of quieter version of what you do for us with fewer options. You know, they're, they're just the players don't hair forward. Those clips that you sort of watch 50 times of someone winning a tackle in the 89th minute and, you know, everyone save Melier sprinting at full pace to get in the box and score a fourth goal. You know, it just doesn't happen there. I don't know what the, the coaching is, but they're clearly being told. And stick into that plan. Just take your time. It'll be all right. And that's not how I watch football. I am awful to watch football with. And I'm <laughs> very negative and I assume the worst. So I was losing my marbles yesterday. And I was, you know, it, it felt watching England like it has watching Leeds, where you're having to learn, I'm just going to shut my gob because he's probably right. And yeah. it's still, you know, that's happening with England now, that sense of... It's probably not how we would choose to do it, and it's not the game you would choose to watch in an ideal scenario. But you start to think, he knows what he's doing, Gareth. He's sort of telling them, if we get to 75 minutes and I put Grealish on and it's nil-nil, then we'll win. And then when they do, you just think, well, I probably shouldn't have shouted. <laughs> allowed for him to get enough, given that he's just scored and we've just beaten Germany and so on. And perhaps I don't know what I'm talking about. How, so how why does, don't I go on a football podcast and talk for an hour about what talking about? <laughs> this is to ease them back to Phil coming, isn't it? You've had really informed guests like Bryn and Victor Orta, so you start getting the getting the tosses <laughs> like me. <laughs> how do you think it all stacks up versus supporting Leeds? Because we've been speaking over on our podcast when we've been doing the Euro Ball about our relationship Leeds compared to the international side, and I think I weighed it up at about ninety percent Leeds and ten percent England, but I kind of waver on it. I enjoy the good bits. Yeah, I, I would find it hard to put a percentage on it because right now I'm, you know, I'm I'm more of an England fan than I've ever been, you know, and there, there is a similar sense. I, I'm still struggling with my relationship with Jack Grealish, but broadly they're a really likable squad. And I think back to Euro '96, and you know, it's iconic now. But at the time, the narrative was all about these lads are going to go and drink heavily and they're going to ruin it for us, and we can't trust them. And you look now, there's no question of. I, I would doubt Gareth Southgate has ever had to say don't do anything silly tonight because you just know they're not going to. They're going to go and play FIFA in their rooms or they'll do extra workouts or they'll go and do crunches. That they're just These young men now are such professional athletes that you don't get that sort of concern about them. And it is like watching Leeds. I, I broadly, I like all of them. You know, Harry Maguire was exceptional last night and I am able to switch my club brain off and they're sort of ours for a bit. But that will stop the minute we go out of the tournament. And I think, <laughs> I think we messaged it. Being a Leeds fan and having gone through the last however many years and now able to think, well, when this ends, I'll just start getting really excited about the season again. And actually, there's a bit of me thinking, it's probably slowing down signings, this. We should <laughs> get this Euros out of the way and then we can actually start the job of signing the players we want because at the moment they're all on holiday. So to be able to commit to a tournament and know as soon as, literally the minute this ends, it's going to get really fun waiting, you know, you start thinking, right, United away, first game of the season. Who, sorry? Wallop. I'm so sorry. What do I have to do now? I listen to the other podcast. I have to text. I have to give you my phone, I think, don't I? Manchester <laughs> United at Old Trafford. Are you, do you call, you don't call them the scum on the athletic podcast, do you? No, we've, we've got to be a little bit more grown up on this one. I think. Yeah, um, all right then. But, um... Manchester United away, <laughs> at home, start uh, getting excited. Yeah, it's rare, isn't it, that you get a situation where we can enjoy both club and international football at the same time. This does feel very rare. It is, and it, it absolutely is a proper once-in-your-lifetime thing where your your club and the national side are likeable and doing well. I feel like it might never happen again, and we don't. I don't like to talk about, you know, sort of like when a dog's getting old. I, I can't talk about what will happen when he, with a capital H, is not in charge of our club anymore. And it is like, sometimes, you know, when you're watching like a thriller or a whodunit and you, you have to really think, I'm not going to try and work out who did it because it's just going to ruin it for me. I'm going to try and just enjoy it. It's the same at Leeds at the moment. You just think it's pointless thinking about a time when it's not this good because it will end and I'll just not have enjoyed it. Still so, do think about it though, don't you? you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you sort of, well, 
it's when managers leave other clubs and you look at the list of who's about and you think, oh, God, I don't want any of them, even <laughs> yeah. the good ones, even the clubs that are like getting the good managers, like Nuno, and he's like, oh, God, I don't want any of you. I just want him to stay forever. I think he will, won't he? I think so, yeah. So it's, it's this one year at a time thing. He obviously can't bear the thought of leaving Leeds, so he doesn't. He just will just do, you know, like rolling contracts. We'll just, I'll just stay here. I'm um, I'm really pleased as well that you refer to him with a capital H as well because I do that with my mates via text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. How can you not? He's he's just the best. I'm, I'm buying like clobber and little statuettes that you know it's like being twelve again and such faith that. I'm never going to read anything bad about him. That's the other thing. It's just he's, he's never done anything bad ever. Same with Calvin. They're just apart from that time he he did chin the man who was in charge of refurbishments of the training ground once, didn't he? At um, where was he? he, he was that Bill Bow when he did that? Possibly, yeah. There's the odd, you know, there's the odd bit of grenade he, waving. And, <laughs> he and did also report like himself to the police for it as well. <laughs> he did, yeah, absolutely. He dealt with it. He dealt with it at the time, and um, you know, I. I I, I won't say what the guy doing the refurbishments did, but it yeah, was it probably horrific. I mean, it was it was awful, you know. There's something in the book, isn't there, about him delaying the reopening of that training facility by like two weeks to get the plugs moved because they yeah. weren't in the middle of the units by the bed or is, something. Is that the Quality of the Madness book? Is it that one? Yes. Yeah, I've just, yeah. Start, I've just started that on my Kindle. I'm reading it in bed at the minute and I've smiled so many times already with it. But um, we're supposed to be talking about the Euros, so we'll come on to Bielsa Sorry, yes. in a minute. But I was just going to say, wrapping up on the Euros, have you enjoyed it as a, a whole entity? It's feel like like the like the VAR has felt a little bit better applied and the refs seem to be letting a little bit more go, although there have been a couple of questionable cards. Yeah, I, I mean, the cards yesterday wound me up. I still haven't seen Calvin's again, but it just didn't look. From, from 400 metres away, surrounded by people screaming and crying with tears in my eyes, I won't say I had the best view of it, but it didn't look to be... Uh, a card to me, but it has sort it, of it shown. Looked, yeah, oh, it, it did look a little bit like a red card. Yeah, it was. It was. Oh, did it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it I was, take back everything I said at the time. Then it no, was a it Premier League red card. Yeah, it was described as a hard yellow. A hard yellow. Okay, because yeah. he, he went. No, he, right. he he went in for the ball. They both went for the ball, but he went over it. Did Calvin? Didn't he? He's yeah. like with his foot raised, not studs up, but foot raised. It was. Yeah, you, you've seen them given before in the Premier League. I had that wonderful moment before the Croatia game. We met up with two guys in the tunnel uh, who were Peterborough fans. And the team got announced while we were sort of in the concourse having a few beers. And um, I had that. And they were like boos. I remember people screaming that Rice and Phillips were in the same team, that Sterling was starting. And I got that moment where these Peterborough fans said to me, Phillips, is he good enough? And I got to say, yeah, he really, I mean, he properly is. He's properly the difference between winning and losing. And if you're going to play defensively to then ping balls out and get forwards, and then I got to watch him do it for 90 minutes, and I, I never saw those Peterborough fans again, but I wanted to grab them and just say, I told you so. <laughs> but I did also say to them, he's sometimes got a cheeky red in him yeah. every now and again if he gets a bit upset. I think um, we do miss that of, of being in a stadium as well, that feeling of, of anger that's completely unjustified when you think you think a ref's cheating you and then you get home and you watch it and you go it was right there wasn't it I remember like when, <laughs> yeah, like when Max Gradle when Max Gradle got sent off against Bristol and everyone in the stadium was absolutely <laughs> furious and you get home and saw that he'd stamped on him and then gone mental and you went well yeah. all's well that ends well I was wrong but I'm not accountable for my error so it doesn't matter no absolutely and what is the point of football if you don't do that who wants to be sat in a stadium being pragmatic and say well he probably made the right call there Absolutely not. But but broadly, the tournament having you know in the way that you when, when you have kids and you don't get to quite commit to the three match a day feast of football that you used to. But yeah, I've watched as much as I can, and uh, I'm, I'm growing into it more. Oddly, I find I enjoy it more the closer England get to potentially winning it. Something is is growing inside me. I loved watching Portugal go out. You know all that stuff. Wonderful. I'm still broadly a negative and unpleasant human being. <laughs> I enjoy the suffering of others more than my own fleeting enjoyment of things. And what's the plan for watching the um, the quarters on Saturday then against Ukraine? Uh, well, Saturday's a problem because my wife's away, so there will be no getting together. That will just be... That'll be one of those bedtimes where you find out how good a dad you are because <laughs> she, she will be down by 7.55. <laughs> Otherwise, there will be hell to pay. I think it's 8 o'clock, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, I, I tried watching uh, one of the games with her the uh, Scotland game again, Lucy was away, so we were at home. So it was my daughter's first. She's four. So I got her like a little England top and um, I thought she might get into it. She didn't. 
you know, it's she's back on the bench for going to Leeds. She keep asking me to come to Leeds, and uh, that game really was proof that unless we happen to get seats where I can spread Lego out in front yeah. of us, she's she's not quite there yet. So yeah, I'll be watching that one at home, as I imagine a lot of people will, since you have to quarantine, I think, for five days, and the game's not that far away. So it'll be interesting. There'll be England fans there, won't there? Yeah, they're giving to people who are resident in Italy, aren't they? The tickets are going out via the British Embassy in Italy. Yeah, I wondered about that. I wondered if there were fans who had the confidence to fly out sort of a week ago, thinking, well, I'm not going to get to go to the Germany game, but if I get out to Italy now and just gamble. Because there's a, we had tickets for um, in the ballot, the original Euro, so 2020. We, we were supposed to be at Munich and Rome, uh, me and some friends, and uh, like hotels, airports. And when you've had that taken away from you, and obviously people have lost more. I'm not, it's not a boo-hoo story, but you do find yourself acting with a, a level of madness that it feels like, oh, there was there was that option, which was going to be cool, but now it's basically a home tournament. You know, you do make some reckless decisions. <laughs> so I, I just, I really hope there are England fans who've just done something insane. Just said, I'm, I'm going to go to Italy in the middle of COVID just in case England have a game there next Saturday. Is that all right? <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. You said in the first part then, John, that you don't remember the championship season you missed out on that 91 92 so presumably you don't remember 92 93 in the first flirtation with the with the champions league no sadly my, my first game was uh, 94 leeds uh, manchester city we won 2-0 and no Whelan scored both so yeah i don't uh, i don't remember that at all sadly so your way of getting into it you said then like you didn't really have a team uh, to begin with how how on earth did you become a leeds fan then because you are from the wrong side of the pennines for your sins Yes, it's it's passed down in the paternal gene. So I can still remember where I was stood. So I was stood in our sort of backyard and um, I was kicking a ball about. I, I do, and as I look back on it now, I can't understand. Uh, literally, at school, we would play football all lunchtime and then I would leave school and come home. And we lived on like a council estate with like a little car park that was bricked in. It was like a little five-a-side pitch. And we would just play football all night. And at I just club football just never occurred to me to to need a team. I grew up sort of Lancaster and Morecambe area, so kids at my school were were either Man United fans or Liverpool fans broadly. A couple of Blackburn knocking about, but I was in my backyard, and my dad said, "Who's your team?" And um, in a, I mean, this will be a whole chapter in the autobiography. You know, my <laughs> mum and dad splitting up, and me trying to impress my dad, and uh, I just said, "What's your team?" And he said, "Leeds United." So I said, "Oh wow." That's my team too. What a coincidence. Maybe this will strengthen our bond. So yeah, it was just an attempt to impress my dad. And um, I'm sticking with that. I've stuck with that, to be fair, over the last sort of, what, nearly sort of 30 years now. It's, uh, Are you planning to indoctrinate Elsie as well? Oh, absolutely. She she already knows the Leeds, Leeds, Leeds chant. Anytime we're out and we see anything blue and yellow, she points at me. Her colouring book is full of blue and yellow hippopotamuses and birds. It's because, because there are only blue and yellow crayons in the house, isn't it? That's why all the red ones have been chucked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chucked out. She did me a Father's Day card last week and drew a picture of me and she put a blue and yellow kit on it and it was it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me. It's so um, true, isn't it? When you when you get that, I mean, like my little lad, as I've said before on the Square Ball podcast, flirting with Spurs, and but now he's died in the wool leads and it feels like such a relief and it's so exciting when he either trots down in his kit, chosen by my wife, obviously, uh, but he'll, he'll have one of his kits on and he'll be knocking around on the street with his mates kicking the football around like they do or he'll draw something or, and it'll all be Leeds related and it just makes you feel so much happier and so proud. Well, it's a time where, you know, it's not like the League One days where you're sort of, it's like passing on a curse where you think, oh, do I want you to share in this with me? I feel like a sort of four-year-old watching football at the moment. It's just, 
it's all of the joy and none of the nonsense. And I think, you know, we perhaps don't talk enough with Bielsa about the the moral importance that he puts on who he signs. And, and that thing of, was it Ben Rama when was, there was talk about him signing mm. and then he tweeted that picture on a private jet? And you just knew straight away, well, that's him done then. Because we just see that shake his head and, and look at the, you know, the next name down on the list. And it means you can commit to the players and love the players. I think, you know, Gianni Ioski in different hands might be even more of an oddball than, than we see of him. <laughs> but he clearly knows where the line is. So I can't remember a time when there's been none of the, there isn't an El Hajjouf or someone like that. You just think, oh, I just love them all. Any of them can come round for tea and that's fine. They'll all be very polite and they'll, they'll eat a high nutritious meal and they'll leave when it's time to go. They won't overstay their welcome. What would you cook for Rafinha then? And what would you talk about? Um, I'd probably show off and, and uh, try and remember some of my Portuguese and uh, that would go very badly. <laughs> and then, uh, I don't know, I think I'd be I'd be too in awe of him. He, he strikes me as someone who's, he's got a touch of the sort of Ronaldo's about him, just a proper athlete. And again, one of those players that you like, that, well, that's Bielsa that's got that out of you because it, it could have gone either way again. And, we just play football where he's allowed to deliver because everything else is set up so well. Calvin's the one. Calvin just, I'd just lock him in my house. I just wouldn't let him leave. I, you know, it's a bit weird to talk about pairing a grown man up with your daughter who's yet to go to school. But, you know, perhaps I could set Calvin up with someone and they could then, if they had kids quickly, I could pair my daughter with Calvin's first son. It's, it's a long plan that involves him probably being a hostage in my house for at least 10 years. <laughs> I was basically advocating the same thing, wasn't I, on our podcast, just saying whatever he, him and his family want, just give it to him. Even if it's like half a million pounds a week and we go bankrupt, I think he probably deserves it. Yeah, I, I'd never... It's only... I, it was a couple of days ago I, I had that fear that you used to have all the time when we were selling club of like, it only just occurred to me, he's on the world stage now. Everybody's seeing how good he is. Everybody in the world now knows how good he is. And it had never occurred to me that that might mean, at some point, a big offer from a big foreign club because I just think but he's Leeds though isn't he so it, it, it sort of doesn't matter he's just he's not going to go anywhere because he's, oh well, he, we've thought that before though it's got slight echoes of Rio Ferdinand hasn't it just before he left but he was never ours though was he we, we'd bought him in the first place he was yeah. not a he's not a Leeds person is he so yeah it, it, it was different and it was a sort of yeah I, well, I don't know I, I just find it impossible to be truly honest perhaps it wasn't different Perhaps I'm just defensive and saying it's different, and here are seven reasons why perhaps it's not different. It's different but, in, until it's not, and we sell him yeah. to Man United. He, he wouldn't, would he? Would he? No, he wouldn't. What about Alan Smith? Stop it now. We're, oh, supposed, to be, we're supposed to be enjoying football, and you two, have, this has turned into an anxiety anxiety. <laughs> but you look at what happens. I mean, he could learn a lot from Alan Smith. Look at the players that leave. That team, none of them was the same. Rio mm. Ferdinand no. did do all right. Rio Ferdinand, in fairness, did okay. But he never, I, he was never as happy um, <laughs> Let, emotionally. Can we talk about something nice instead of Rio Ferdinand? Can we, let's, <laughs> let's talk about Marcelo Bielsa and yes. and how much you love him because you even incorporated a version of him, shall we say, into Meet the Richardsons. Because we, you'd when we did the live stream after promotion, I think you mentioned mm. on that that you had rented an Airbnb in Weatherby just to try and track him down, and that, <laughs> and that then became a storyline in Meet the Richardsons. Yeah, which because Lucy writes it with uh, a guy called Tim Reed who wrote Carshare, and it, uh, th- what they write is has to be based in reality because what they've realised is I cannot act. So if I am playing anything other than me doing a thing I have done, it just gets cut because I can't do it. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, I booked an Airbnb for two nights in Weatherby, and I just drove up there. I spent a lot of time in Morrison's. <laughs> You know, I don't eat meat, but I'll just sort of drift around the meat. I, I imagine Bielsa getting a nice cut of meat, and I imagine he knows what to do with, you know, he's not swayed by filler. He knows what to do with a cheap cut. Mm. So, you, you know, he'd be getting a, you know, a bit of lamb neck or something like that, and he'll stew that down real nice. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I never saw him, and Lucy got called away, and I had to leave a day early, and I was in such a bad mood. So that, again, is true. It happens in the sitcom where Lucy rings me and says, you've got to come back, and I, I haven't finished stalking my prey. And that's exactly what happened. Lucy rang me and said, I've got to go to London. You need to come back and, and get Elsie. And I left in such a bad mood. To get out of the Airbnb, it was quite a tight turn with a low wall. And I knew the car was going to hit the wall, and I just <laughs> couldn't be asked to do anything about it. 
<laughs> and I just I scraped the whole side of the car down the wall because I was in such a bad mood. I was like, well, I'm not I'm not going to bother reversing now, am I? Because we've all got tits up and I don't get to meet the Elsa. What's the point in having a car that hasn't got a scratch down the side? And I still look at it now and it's a memory of that not seeing Bielsa. But then I don't know what I'd have done anyway. I was at the centenary dinner when he you know, turned up in his tracksuit and he walked right past me and, you know, in, just, in just more confident Just moment, touch him, just touch him. Just touch him. But then I think, I can't touch him. He doesn't deserve to be touched by me. These despicable hands and where they've been. You can't touch a man like that. It was enough to just know he smells nice. But presumably he's now had both injections and everything, but in the early stages of the pandemic when people were still having pictures with him, I was thinking, get, yes. a, get away from him. You filthy <laughs> pigs. turning up outside his him. house. <laughs> and leaving food for him, all this stuff of people leaving food on his doorstep. Surely he's not eating that. I know he's too good a man to admit it. But... Mm, thank you. Scrape it straight into the bin. Oh, thank you. <laughs> were, you oh. In, were you involved in the casting of the pretend Marcelo then in Meet the Richardsons? No, I don't recall. He was good, though, from a distance. Yeah, because I, 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 I saw the clip on the previous week coming up next week, and I was like, He's not, has he? And then I realised watching it the week after, oh, yeah, he's, he's got a lookalikey. Yeah, he was, because uh, I wondered if the lookalikey would get, because the uh, the way we film it, I'm sort of in the car park and he walks past. And I sort of said to the crew, you know, we might have to have a couple of goes at this because he does look like him. And someone will probably come up to him while we're filming. And uh, th- they didn't, but I thought he was very good. I mean, it helped that we didn't even film it in, in Weatherby due to... I can't remember. I don't think we could afford Weatherby. So um, <laughs> we, we got a permit to film in Elland instead. And I also said, I'm, I don't want to film outside the coffee shop he actually goes to. Because if there are any people that are unaware of where he goes to get his coffee, I don't want to be the one that told them in case anyone does, you know, like you were saying, Michael, turn up and touch him. So we we used a sort of dummy coffee shop. But I've driven past the coffee shop loads. It's near Stockeld Park where I take my daughter. Stockeld Park is a good hour and a half, two hour drive from our house. And we probably go more regularly than we should. Just three or four times because, a week. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Can you camp out there? Um, yeah, we go a lot. And I drive through Weatherby thinking one day, he's just on that little bit up from Thorpe Arch, he'll be walking up and it'll be raining and I'll stop and I'll say, Hey, do you need a lift? And he'll say, God, that'd be great. But can I trust you? And I'll give him a lead salute and he'll give me a little wink and then we'll become friends. That has yet to happen. You've done really well, actually, to get Leeds United into just about everything you do because it's featured on Cats Does Countdown and on Meet the Richardsons and everything. Like, yes, why? No, not why, because we know why, but why? Do you want a really selfish answer? Yeah, is it we get Leeds is such a sort of phenomenon that that episode is watched a little bit more. Whatever the figures are, there's another couple of hundred thousand on if it's a Leeds storyline because Leeds fans watch it. Like you just to see if it's Bielsa. And then, you know, like Cats, they asked me when we first started doing mascots, who do you want? And I sort of said jokingly, well, I want Leeds United mascot. And then it, it was it was the thing. Lucas was underneath my desk, or sod inside it, baking heat. Well, I mean, it, that first section of Cats, genuinely, we record for like an hour and a half for that first sort of 15 minutes when everyone does their mascot. And this poor sod under the desk was sort of dying and I had to say, we're going to have to do mine now because I'm about to kill Lucas. Um, do Leeds send the man inside it or do you have to provide your own man inside it? I think it was, the, I think we got the guy inside it. What do you mean uh, there's a guy inside it? Oh, well, this is awkward. Um, the, I mean, it's a real cat, <laughs> but a man penetrates it. It's sort of like a marionette puppet. It's that easy for you to imagine. It's a real giant cat, but a man beside it sort of orchestrating it from inside. At the moment, Lucy says, you know, what what storylines do you want in Meet the Richardsons? And all I do is watch and talk about Leeds at the moment. So we we just have to get it in. We've got Chris Kamara in the first series and there's a storyline. I shouldn't give away what's happening in series three, but we start filming next week and my attempts to impress Calvin Phillips will crop up. I I did ask if we could have Marcelo Bielsa for that scene and... um, (laughs) did somebody I knew at the club and said, is it possible? And I got a lot of crying face emojis. And I'm fine with that, but you have to ask. But I'd have been disappointed if he had done it. In the same way that if I touch him, I'll know that I've sort of, I've sullied him somehow. If he'd have done a show I was in, I would have lost respect for him a bit. So I sort of asked, hoping he was going to say, I've never heard of him. I've never heard of Dave and I'm not doing it. Do uh, you get a lot of flack from non-Leeds fans for so much Leeds stuff in what you do? Not as much now as I used to. There's is that because we're cool again up now? 
I think it is. Yeah, I think um, I don't know if it's just our audience. I don't. I think our audience is um, because it's a family sitcom, basically. Perhaps not at the abusive end. I get a bit, but you want a bit, don't you? It's, again, there's sort of no point doing it if you're not winding up the right people. <laughs> so it's nice to get a bit of grief every now and again. Because um, there are other parallels there. Like, you know, you've got a, a public profile. You're really well known. Like, So you must have been spotted by people at Wembley who presumably go, you're John Richardson, and you say, yes, I am. Uh, yeah, th- they tend to say you're that guy off that thing um, <laughs> rather than know my actual name. And appearance-wise, I'm very, you know, it's one of the benefits of being small. I, I tend not to get recognised as much because I'm generally hidden in the shadow of whoever I'm walking behind. There aren't many benefits to being small, but not getting recognised. And if I'm in a hotel and I have to, I can dry my full body with a hand towel. (laughs) That's about the two only benefits of being the size I am. And I can get my hand inside a Pringles tube so I can get the last Pringles without having to tip the tube up. So those three are the benefits of being the size I am. You you were talking earlier about the the current crop of England players not going out on the booze like they did in in 1996 and i guess that's that is to do with public profile and the fact that everything ends up on the internet these days and everyone's got a you know a high definition camera in their pocket but also it gives them access to twitter and stuff and i wonder like they have to deal with so much criticism and i guess you do as well i mean how how do you handle that what what is it like to be in the public eye and have that sort of criticism directed at you well, I would say comedy has got something in common with football that it's it's a, like a visceral reaction with people. I mean, if you do something, you saw the reaction to a friend of mine interviewed uh, Sven Joran Eriksson recently and asked him about his time. And, and, and his sort of abiding memory of this country was the way we sort of torture our own players in a way that no other country does. And I think football is something so visceral that if we feel we've been let down by those people, it's so ridiculous, the reaction. And there's something similar with comedy that is a very personal thing, making someone laugh. And it's quite an unpleasant feeling if you don't get the thing everyone's laughing at. And I think that leads to a similarly unpleasant reaction. So what you never get told is, I can appreciate that objectively you are funny because you are a comedian. However, I do not appreciate your work. You'll just get told you are awful. You're horrific at your job and I hate you. And it's a similar thing with football. There's no sort of middle ground. There's not always, you know, it's clearly talented. But however, you know, same with England at the moment. I I drove back up this morning listening to the reaction. There's still that pervasive kind of, I mean, it obviously wasn't a great game. And you just think, oh, come on. It's like, it's the day after. Let's be nice for a morning. Let's just say we just beat England. uh, We beat Germany 2-0. So everything was all right by definition, because that's what football is. So it was all right. So yeah, I don't. I probably don't get as much as I should because my profile isn't as big as it should. But it's just something that you have to learn to cope with. Sadly, I know what I gain from being on social media because I'm able to say I'm doing a gig here. Would you like to come? I'm not entirely sure what footballers get out of it, other than I guess now they are lonely. A lot of them. I don't think they have the same social lives that you know the players we talked about earlier. So I do. I do genuinely think there's something about interacting with people on there that, that they enjoy. But if I got any grief as a football, I'd just come off it. I mean, Marcus so. Rashford uses it to be leader of the opposition, doesn't he, mainly? On, on <laughs> yeah, someone's got to. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, if they were all doing that, I understand. But it does seem like I'm not, I'm not sure what the gain is. But I'm always aware, you know, like my phone is here. I could end my career now. While we're chatting, I could tweet something that means I never work again. And I always think that however many followers, that's like having that many people in your pocket all the time that could overhear anything. So I am I'm ridiculously cautious on social media. I don't post any of my genuine opinions because I know I'd never work again because I'm a horrific and unpleasant and really nasty man. So I'll leave it a few days and then I'll tweet something about a squirrel ass or in a park or something to continue this ridiculous view that I'm a nice person that you should employ. Top three time now then of your top 10 signings since 2006, the 15 years you've been covering Leeds United, Phil. Uh, so far, we've had Kisnorbo at 10, Snodgrass at 9, Becchio 8, Cooper 7, Rafinha 6, uh, Beckford at 5, Stuart Dallas at 4, and number 3 is a player who could have been second, could have been fourth, interchangeable. Rockstar, Luke Ayling. The thing I love about Ayling is that, by no means is he the first player that this has happened to, but he's a Premier League right back who, back in 2016, when Leeds signed him, just wasn't wanted particularly at, at Bristol City. They they were switching from a, a back three to a back four and in Lee Johnson's mind, he didn't see that Ailing was going to be good enough to play as a right-sided defender, i.e. a fullback, which seems 
pretty comical now when you look at Ailing play and you look at what Ailing's strengths are and you look at what he's done on not just under Bielsa but also that first season under Gary Monk. He was he was a bit of a revelation and an absolute fixture in in that team. Very very good on on the right hand side. Very attacking and and very aggressive. And I think more to the point, sold by Bristol City for two hundred thousand pounds, which is a, a absolute snip for a a Premier League right back. But he's got a wonderful backstory as well, which is that like a lot of players, he was in a Premier League academy when he was young. He was at Arsenal and, and in a really good Arsenal side that did the double of the um, the Youth League and the, the FA Youth Cup, so the Kyle Bartley and, and others. And he, he took the plunge in a big way by deciding that he was going to go to Yeovil. Um, he'd been to Yeovil on loan, but he took the move permanently. And his, his feeling at the time was that managers at that level were never going to gamble too readily on proven youth players, regardless of whether they were coming from the Premier League or not. And on the basis that Ailing was unlikely to get a move to a championship club or another Premier League club and that he was going to have to start at a fairly low level, he couldn't afford to let opportunities pass him by. He knew that there would be a lot of managers who would not bother with a player like him because they couldn't risk it not working and, and them getting sacked. It was easier to go for more experienced players, easier to go for proven players who, who would serve you well. But he went to Yeovil and he started badly by having a fight with Paul Huntington in training and having a bit of an argument with um, Terry Skiverton, who was the manager, but then went back and apologised and smoothed the waters and was excellent for Yeovil. And little by little changed from a centre-back into a defensive midfielder where he played for a little while and eventually said to Skiverton, I think when they were short of a right-back, I think I can play in that position. You know, I, I think I can play there and... Nobody was totally convinced because Ailing's got a bit of a centre-back stature. He's not massive, he's not hugely tall, but he's not what you think of when you think of your classic right-backs, you know, slightly smaller and stockier and a bit more, maybe a bit more explosive in, in the way that they run or, or the way that they look at, at full tilt. But basically, from that point, he has claimed the ladder. He went to Bristol City where they won promotion from League One. He went to Leeds where they won promotion from the Championship. He's now in the uh, in the Premier League and... As of a you know a few weeks before the end of the season, he was being told that he was in sort of outside consideration for the England squad before the, the World Cup qualifiers in March. Um, so his trajectory has been really quite something. Um, and again, you, you said about Dallas last week that a really good guy, really good bloke, and I, I would certainly apply the same to, to Luke Ayling as well. The biggest compliment I can say to him from my point of view is that I'd love to be mates with him. You know, quite apart from his footballing ability, he seems like a bloke I'd love to go to the pub with and just have a pint and just chat to. And I think he's someone whose success you can enjoy, not just for the success that he's bringing Leeds, but like if he got called to the England squad, I would feel genuinely thrilled for him and I would I would really hope he was going to get on the pitch because I, I kind of, without knowing him, I feel I know what that would mean to him And because he, he always seems thoroughly grateful for, for being a footballer, which I don't think you get from everybody. He just seems like he's enjoying himself, yeah. And when he enjoys himself, you enjoy yourself, don't you? Easy to relate to, I think, and and that's probably true of quite a lot of this squad. And how long that'll last, I don't know, because as you start signing higher profile players and you know more elite players, you assume that there's going to be that sort of natural detachment that there seems to be with with players at the the very very highest level. But it's it's not as if Ailing has had any of this, uh, you know, any of it's come easy to him. People will know that he has a stammer, you know, as a speech impediment, which is which is difficult for anybody, but I think even more difficult when you're in the public eye and you're expected to be interviewed and, and everything else. It's not not something that, that's easy to cope with, but he just seems forever happy with his lot. And and a bit like Dallas and, and others, seems to love the idea that you can improve and you can get better. Seems to love the idea that there isn't really an upper limit unless you, you set one for yourself. And, and he has just consistently got better and better at Leeds. And let's not forget he had the, the, the season, the post-Monk season, where he lost a little bit of form and you wondered if he'd rediscover it as well. And he did. And, and like you say, his arc since that point has been towards the England squad. I think a lot of players did in that season. It was difficult to it was difficult to draw any pleasure from it. And I, I can imagine they were all feeling at a low ebb at the point where Christensen went, um, not because Christensen was going, but um, because the form was tailing off and poor and the playoffs were looking pretty inconceivable at that point and then no bounce whatsoever on the heckin' bottom but Bielsa was just a huge injection of adrenaline and excitement for everybody I think Ailing, despite being asked to cut his weight down really dramatically straight away you know he always joked about getting all the cereal out of his house so that so that he wouldn't snack on it I think he was just totally enthused by the idea of Bielsa coming in that was true of Cooper it was true of Dallas they all they all realised straight away that it was such a massive opportunity for them and they've all taken it. I really enjoyed his vulnerability in the documentary as well when he was saying and just being honest and open and saying, 
I need to find out if I'm good enough to play in the Premier League. That's the next question. Which was true of just about everybody, really. There, there weren't many players in that squad who'd, who'd done it before. And even Hernandez, he'd, he'd had a couple of decent years at Swansea and they'd won the League Cup. But it had come and gone quite quickly down there for somebody who was coming over from Valencia and who you felt might be on for a, a lengthy career in the Premier League. Before you knew it, he was away in, in the Middle East. And you know, if you, you went through through the team from front to back that played for Bielsa in the Championship, very limited amounts of experience of, of top flight football. So it was a, a learning curve for them. But again, I think because they progressed so much under Bielsa and because they'd seen what was possible under Bielsa, they, they seemed to come into this season with the confidence that they'd all be fine. Well, he takes the bronze medal position on the podium. Luke Ayling in number three and Phil's top 10 signings since 2006. Uh, to run you down where we are so far, we've got number 10, Paddy Kisnorbo, number nine, Robert Snodgrass, number eight, Luciano Becchio, Liam Cooper at seven, six was Rafinha, five, Jermaine Beckford, four, Stuart Dallas, three, Luke Ayling. We'll find out who takes the silver medal next week. So the brand new 21-22 season starts on Thursday, the 1st of July. This one comes out after that has kicked off. Uh, Leeds starting to move, doing bits in the transfer market. John, do you, do you share a sense of loss almost, like we're quietly breaking up the promotion squad and like replacing Pablo and looks like Alioski may well be off. We don't know yet, but... Yeah, there's definitely a sense of that. I, I'm glad I wasn't at that that last game. You know, I, I couldn't get a ticket for that one. So I would have, when they started crying on the pitch, I would have absolutely lost it. And I know you have close personal ties to uh, Mr. Berardi, don't you? So I imagine you were quivering wrecks. But at least you know it's, and again, this is that trust thing that you not only know Bielsa knows what he's doing, Victor Orta has put any of his doubters down and you just know we'll get, better people and it's ended well for them it hasn't ended like you know even Berardi that that point when he got injured and you thought oh god it's going to end with him not you know he, he did get another game he got to come out and get his ovation and the club nursed him through that when at a different time the club would have just tossed him on a scrap heap and said we're well, not paying to mend your leg because <laughs> you're getting too old now so we will shoot you and dispose of your body if you want but we're not going to get you back to health you know so They'll probably become a tie. It'll be in 10 years when we watch, you know, you watch the DVD back of, of the end of that year. And, um, you know, and again, looking back now, we, we were there for most of that. So at least we got to see a lot of, we didn't get to see the last sort of 10 or so games, but we got to see a lot of, but I will be annoyed if this season starts and we still, you know, you can't quite get back in in the same way. And then we lose players and you think, well, oh, I just, I just never got to see them. That, that moment last year when you thought, oh God, what if Bielsa leaves this year and we never get to see him managing the Premier League live, that would upset me more. It's been such a strange feeling having players leave under these circumstances because for so long it's been players who were good and were sold and players mm. who we couldn't get rid of. And so when their contracts did finally expire, you were like, thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> like, we don't have to see Steve Morrison anymore. What an absolute pleasure this is going to be. <laughs> Michael yeah. Tong finally has ended his contract. You know, it's a sense that the club is outgrowing teams harsh, but we're, we're trying to keep improving so we can't keep a 35 year old Pablo Hernandez but we still love him and I think that is that is a strange thing to get to grips with yeah and to, and to put to it right by him as well like in reality probably a 35 year old Pablo Hernandez knows he's not going to you know when he when he came to us he knew what the mission was and he achieved that mission it probably went a little bit sour at the end didn't there there was that sort of temper tantrum and more time on the bench than I think we were expecting. But as you say, it was it was more time on the bench because things were going really well. And, you know, we were we're being run right. And after the year we've had, do you know what? A player that does their job is adored and gets a standing ovation and gets to walk off the pitch. That's as well as that ends. I'm sort of okay with it. I think it. the thing that made me okay with it was when we spoke to Eddie Gray the other week and we were talking about the West stand and I asked him if he was going to have any... Yes, like, you know any laments or regrets that. about the West End going, and he's like, "No, football, you know, <laughs> yeah. football needs to move on." So if if Eddie Gray's all right with it, then I'm all right with it. I'm fine to let those memories go into the past. And you see, you know, football's a it's a progressive sport, isn't it? And that's why it's okay, I think, to to let these these players go and, and pass them into memory. And whereas we were more like Eddie, but you walked through those doors all those years ago, <laughs> no, and he wasn't bothered, was he? That yeah. was great. Yeah, bulldoze it. Really it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, build something better. I always hated it anyway. And, and and just the way he spoke about 
There must have been a point where you were worried about asking him about some of the sort of teammates he's lost, and you know, again, that that's context. I I, I cried more watching the the Big Jack documentary because that shouldn't have happened this year under COVID and the way it's happened, and not getting to be at a game immediately and have that sense of sharing that moment together. That is harder to deal with than players that have had a, a good experience and we love. You know, it's just. And we can still love them because they're retiring. They're not going anywhere else. So they're still ours forever. They'll get a job. I'm sure they'd be happy to mow the grass or polish some seats or, you know, I expect to see Pablo behind the bar in the West End. It it needs staffing up, doesn't it? (laughs) Absolutely. When we get those new pumps that they'll have at Spurs where you just put the glass on and it magically fills, I see his shining little face and he somehow manages to just... Somehow he's got the pint to you through someone else and you don't quite know how he's done it. <laughs> Still got those skills. <laughs> through the legs. It looks like we're going to be getting someone like Junior Furpo anyway is the one that um, is being zeroed in on at left back. It's exciting signing people from Barcelona and uh, getting them from under the noses of AC Milan. I think that's a nice uh, a nice benchmark of where we are and where we're heading. Yeah, and and that they want to come because of the style of football and the coach. You know, It sort of feels like We'll get them for a good price, you know. Not that I know Michael likes a bargain, as do I. It sort of feels like Bielsa again. I have this conversation with loads of people about the money you pay to a manager and what they do to the value of your squad. That that, that squad that he inherited is now worth a hundred million pounds more. That's just Calvin. That that's just Calvin. Absolutely not that he needs a value because he's never leaving. Just for just for fantasy football, I'm sure they put a value on him. But really, he's, he's he's not for sale. He's not an asset. But you know, Luke Ayling and Bamford and all those players, he makes them worth more. So if we buy sort of cheap players again, I I think that's all right. And but it, to be spending money is nice. He's done great for them all as well on a personal level, in the sense that he's made all these young lads millionaires. You know, they've they've had a transformative experience both personally and financially. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder if I've just got one game in me, just to, to have that experience. But I think there is a side as well of Bielsa that he's not a cuddly granddad. He clearly does it by laying down the law at the beginning and says, if you do these things, I will love you and you will love me. However, if you wrong me, <laughs> this this ends badly for you. <laughs> and I was, I was talking to someone yesterday at the England game about this. You can see Southgate has a similar faith in his I was thinking back to when he did he miss an FA Cup final or something because he was at the NFL his, his sort of reasoning was I want to see the best coaches in every sport in the world to understand every element of coaching and I thought yesterday you can see a determination that there were that it wasn't just me screaming at sort of 70 minutes to make changes and he he understands what he's doing he understands what the the longer sort of plan is and he's getting it right. And that that's that Bielsa thing of no one signing, not sure what he's going to ask of them. Mm. It's just whether they're willing to do it or not. But what do you think in terms of transfers then? We are expecting midfielder and winger to join the left back. What would you like to see? Who do you want? I, I honestly don't mind. I mean, in terms of like this year, I would just take an exact rerun of last year again, but get to be there. That's That will do me. If we do exactly the same, but we're in the ground, then that to me is absolutely fantastic. But I can say that arrogantly thinking, I mean, obviously we'll do better because that's <laughs> what we do. We'll just get better every year. So I'm aware that Calvin is the player that when he's not there, it is a massive problem. So I'd like to see some sense of, I think sort of Stroik does it a little bit and maybe we'll step up more. I'd like to see a sort of back up there, I think, just so that you don't get that instant. If he does pick up a little knock or something, that fear of, oh, no, that's a big problem for us. Beyond that, he seems to be able to turn anyone into a defender. And if there's any other gaps, Stuart Dallas will just do it. Mm. So all he needs to do is find a way of getting him to play in two positions at once, which I think is easier for him to do than train someone else up to the standard he expects. So just just Stuart will do it. It'll be all right. What I like about what they're doing at the minute is it feels like we're not pushing the boat out, but we're pushing the ceiling of what we can do. Does that make sense? You know, look, like they're trying to wring as much quality out of the money that they've got available as possible. And it feels like they did that last year as well. Like stealing Rafinha at that price is ridiculous. But we then, you know, paid quite a lot of money for uh, for Rodrigo. Yeah, I was really pleased to see Rodrigo sort of get his run at the end because that is exciting. And we've got an incredible sort of youth team. So I, I don't feel that pressure to sign that that I used to. I don't know how you feel. Do you think we need a lot? 
Uh, I don't. I, I think the three, if we can stretch to four, maybe that'd be mega exciting. But I'd be fine with three. And that's another thing Bielsa's has taught me is just to be to to be happy with what we've got because he's made them all so much better, as you were saying, John. That I don't worry about the inherent quality of of the current squad as long as we keep evolving it and moving it forward and just gradually leveling it up, leveling it up with each sign in. Because Orta's hit rate, if you discount the sort of landfill season since then, since Bielsa has been really, really good. Yeah, they they clearly have an agreement, and and there's lots of players there that I just have absolute, you know, very good. Davis will just at some point he'll be really good because he wouldn't be here otherwise. They'd have he'd have gone somewhere by now. So there's a lot ready. You know, look at what the, the change in Pascal Stroik from last year, from like those first few games at centre half in thinking, oh, it's not quite the same. To the end, thinking, well, he's just he he can now he can play midfield or defence, and he's brilliant. So it'll mm-hmm. be all right. But if there's a sort of another, you know, if there's a few Rodrigo's knocking about where we get a few more internationals, that's always exciting. Fine with that, aren't we? We're fine with that. When it comes to the modernisation and the the progression, we are going to be at some point soon breaking ground on the new West Stand, maybe a new cop and all that kind of jazz. And to go back to the point I made with Eddie Gray, will you lament the loss of the the West Stand with its asbestos and its collapsing roof (laughs) and its wooden seats? I will, yeah, because that's where I had my, my first season ticket was in the West Stand. It's such an odd sort of relationship with Leeds me because but that that decision I made in the backyard to try and impress my dad, I mean, ultimately backfired because I just didn't know any other Leeds fans. So like growing up, you know, when I lived in Bristol and I could finally, it wasn't until I started working and doing a writing comedy that I could logistically afford to come up to Leeds and watch games. And then when I did, I would drive up on my own, sit on my own and then drive home on my own. I mean, it was... It, to win made it worthwhile, but there were there were some of those League One games driving up on a Tuesday night and watching us lose in the rain and then driving back to Swindon. That it just was utterly joyless, and that's it, that. I bought a season ticket in the West End and I sat next to a guy. I don't think he knew who I was. We didn't really speak to each other. It was just it, it must have just thought I was odd. He was sat with his mates, and then I would turn up at sort of quarter to three, stone cold sober, sit next to him, not really say anything, and then shuffle off again at the end. And he was just thought what. What is he doing, this man? And I hugged him once. Dukaris, I can't remember who it was against. He scored an amazing Forrest, goal. Forrest, wasn't he? It was Forrest, it was. Yeah, absolute wonder goal. And I I grabbed hold of him and hugged him. And we never spoke about it. It wasn't like, uh, that wasn't like breaking the ice. It was just weird. And <laughs> it was an we assault. Talk about it ever again. Speaking of Forrest, how is your mate uh, Matt Ford? Is he, <laughs> is, he, is he gone a bit quieter now on the lead stuff? Yeah, there's there's uh, there's a lot less uh, gobbing back there. I felt for him last season because we've had those where their season was done three or four games in. That's so hard, when, especially last year. And I to have had the season we had during the pandemic, where even though you're only watching the games on telly, it was joyful. That is equally on the other side of that, there were those teams who just you, by like September the third, you're like, oh god, oh god, there's just no point to any of this anymore. So yeah, he's very quiet now. I think he would, in, in, in answer to your question about percentages, he would probably say he's a 95% England fan. <laughs> it's great when it's not us though, isn't it, for once? Because we, you know, for all those miserable nights in the West Stand where you're on your own wondering why you're doing it and then the long drive home, disappointed. To have what we have now, it was worth Absolutely, all of it. Absolutely, yeah. And it does feel, you know, I, for a long time I felt sort of a slight imposter and that, you know, I hadn't, you know, I was talking earlier, I don't remember a lot of, 92, you know, I loved that. That, for me, was getting into football, Strachan and McAllister and, you know, Gary Speed, I idolised. But, you know, I, I didn't get to see them a lot because I just couldn't afford to go. And for a long time, I felt like, oh, I don't know, I feel like I've, I'm not a proper fan. And then going more and more, as I've just been financially able to and time-wise able to, now is is the peak of my sort of relationship. You know, over the last few years, and even the last few years in the Championship were... It was just, it's just got better and better for me. And now it's just, it it feels a privilege to be able to support this team because, you know, you've seen enough misery to know you've sort of earned it. And it's just, imagine support, I just imagine supporting someone else. Imagine what that must feel like. Rubbish. I just, yeah, what is the point? What is the point? And, you know, in the back of your mind, the knowledge that, I can't remember who I was talking to recently about Arsenal fans, you're like, you could do with a bit of what we had yeah. because you are every season in the top half of the Premier League and you hate it. It brings you no joy whatsoever. So just go down to League One for a bit. Go, go and watch a few games, win a few, realise that what you like is 
going to football and talking and being with your mates, if you had any, which I didn't. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's proper context. And it is like a movie. This is the end of the movie where Bielsa is in charge and this season we get into the Champions League. Oh, that's a bold prediction. Perfect. <laughs> a bold prediction. Um, a perfect... I thought you couldn't see. I don't like your new high-definition <laughs> high camera. I got away with it. I was going to say it's a perfect place to leave it on a note of, of high optimism for somebody who's so miserable as a character and Michael's so pessimistic. So let's go stop there. It's, it's perfect. Let's not speak any more about any of this. But thanks for coming on, John. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, and I apologise this will be the first edition that I don't listen to, but I really like the show. I just won't listen to it when I'm on it, and if nothing else, I hope the listeners are excited to have Phil back as I am. <laughs> yeah, we look forward to that in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, you can get in touch at the Phil Hay Show on Twitter and sign up for The Athletic for that price for the Euros, £1 a month for six months, theathletic.com forward slash leadspod if you want to do that, and we'll be back next week. See you in a bit. The Phil Hay Show. 